0: nice to be back in here, isn't it? Starting a new series called The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I've been told that Abram there looks a little bit smiley, but I thought, well, why not? You know, Surely he should be happy. Why should Abram be miserable? But I, I, I called the series uh, Look at the Stars, and I've, I'm afraid that's a little bit self-indulgent of me, because um, I went to Coldplay last night, uh, if you follow Facebook, and, uh, and they send out these little stars. Up, all these kind of project it up. So, and there's a song we could sing it, couldn't we? Look at the stars, look how they shine for you. Anyway, that's next week. But the, so that's <laughs> that's next week. So, next week we're going to look at the stars. But this week, we're, I was going to do a nice, pithy little talk on Father's Day. I, I felt as we're praying at the prayer meeting to do something different. So, that was always a little bit dangerous. But I'm aware that what I've got for you is a little bit in your face. And I said that I was going to do that as a little bit in your face, and Andy said, "Well, you always like that." So if you think I'm always like that, I do apologise. But I'm going to be in your face this morning. But actually, I thought God speak it, speak it to me uh, rather than just to speak it to you. And I feel uh, if you're a, if you ever preach sermons, the sermons got to be spoken to you first before you speak to anyone else. So yeah, I was going to do this nice Father's Day, and, and Abraham is called the father in Romans for the father of all who believe. So, there is a sense of we can learn some stuff about fathers, and there'll be little bits and pieces about fathers. But actually, this isn't, Abraham isn't just a nice kind of moral story about how to be a father, good or bad. Sacrificing your son. Yeah, you know, okay, we could have some debates about, about how to be a father, good or bad. But actually, this is a, 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 st- a series about how God catches up ordinary people. Abraham is an ordinary person. I know we read him about him loads in the Bible, but actually, he's an ordinary person. In fact, we'll find out that actually he's, he's, he's messed up just like us. He takes ordinary people with all their sins and flaws and catches them up in God's big story. And that's what I think is really important, that we don't just... Uh, see this this series as we go through God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob as, as sort of little Sunday school stories, but actually we understand they're all about how God catches up Abraham, Isaac and, uh, and Jacob in God's big story. And if anything I want to happen out of this series is I want us to be caught up in God's big story. Not just worried about our small stuff and our small lives, but to be caught up in God's big story. Because actually God's Reveals himself through that story. He ultimately says um, in the New Testament that God is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So actually God ultimately reveals himself in Jesus. But in the Old Testament he doesn't describe himself as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He describes himself as the God of Abraham Abraham. Isaac and Jacob. So there's something about God here. There's something about the gospel, how God picks up people, ordinary people catching up in story. But there's something about who God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so we're going to see who God is. We're going to see a God who's not distant. He's not a God, the, the far away clock maker who winds up the universe and then leaves it. The big designer who goes and does something else. No, who's intimately involved. We see right at the beginning of the story, it says God stoops down and plants a garden. Plants a garden in Eden, and God it gets his hands dirty. All the other things he speaks into being, but in, in Genesis he stoops down and gets his hands dirty and plants a garden. And here we're going to see in Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, God stooping down and getting his hands dirty with people like you. People like me. And it's brilliant that God is that kind of God. He chooses and chooses people, he blesses people and transforms people. We don't choose him, he chooses us. We'll find that with Abraham. God chooses him. And that God blesses him and God transforms him, even though he seems unlikely material. Anyway, so let's uh, dig in. We're going to read from Genesis 11, 27. I'm going to read a few verses. It rolls into chapter uh, 12. And then I'm just, uh, for the sake of... uh, Brevity, because we're not going to preach every verse from Genesis through. In this, we're going to jump to a little section in 14. So let's uh, let me read and I'll pray. So is this is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. Abram, it's not a misspelling, we'll find out later that it's not a misspelling. Abram and Nehor both married. Abram's wife was Sarai, again, not a misspelling, Sarai. Now, Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. When they came to Haran, they settled there. Sarah lived for uh, 205 years and he died in Haram. Verse uh, then straight moving on to Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all nations and peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Enormous promise. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was about 75 years old when he set out from Haran. So if you're old today, this is a good story for you. So I'm feeling good as these are old stories. Uh, so if you're young, it, doesn't, it still applies to you, but old guys, it's not over. 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tea of Morah in Shechem. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your seed I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who would appear to him. And then Genesis 14, just a few verses from 17. After Abram had returned from defeating the kings, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High and he blessed Abram saying, blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praised be to God Most High who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tithe or a tenth of everything. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you take a man like Abram, old, and a woman like Sarah who's infertile, and you show them this incredible plan for the whole whole earth. Lord, I thank you that you are faithful with Abraham, that you pursue him, that you encounter him, that you break bread with him, that you show him what you're going to do, and he delights in that. Lord, I pray as we look at this passage that you would open our eyes to this great story that you have caught us up in. And all God's people said, Amen. So actually, where we get in the Bible here is that are lots of uh, cities... So there's been the city of Babel, where this like, one big city where they were building this kind of massive tower to make their name great and to say, you know, we're bigger than God. And God says, I'm not having that. He, he, he scatters their languages and scatters the people. And they started to spread along the Euphrates River in what's present-day uh, Iraq. So along that, from the Gulf of the uh, uh, River... All the way up towards the source. And they spread along that fertile plain. And actually it's interesting that the, the, city, the kings of those cities call themselves the sons of God. And they built for themselves ziggurats or stepped pyramids. I think there's a picture of a ruin here, is there? Yeah that's a ziggurat, it's like a step pyramid, it's almost like they were told, don't build a, don't build a tower in your own, uh, to, for your own name, so what do they do, they all spread out and go into multiple cities and build these ziggurat pyramids uh, in their own honour, so they're doing exactly the same, people haven't changed, God scattered their languages, but they're just doing it in multiple, multiple nations, and Abraham lived in one of these growing cities called Ur, he's literally an urbanite, and the city worshipped uh, Nana, a, a moon goddess, Uh, Joshua 24 verse 2 says this about them. Long ago, talking to the people of Israel, long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river Euphrates and worshipped other gods. So Abram didn't grow up in a Christian family sort of thing. You know, sometimes if they say, will you tell your story? And sometimes if you've grown up in a Christian family, you think, well, I haven't got a very interesting story. That's not true, because everybody's story is interesting. But Abraham has a really messed up story. So he grows up in a, as an idol worshipper. He worship, he's worshipping the moon. Uh, I don't know what they did to worship the moon, but I suspect there were some sacrifices that were dodgy. There might have been some sex worship that was dodgy. We don't know. But certainly, there was, he, was, he grew up in a pagan culture. His life was messy. So he married his half-sister. So his dad had, a different, had two women. And he marries the half-sister from another is uh, you know, the, the sister from another mother. He marries marries her, so that's kinda messy. Uh, and he's he's raised with the instinct to lie and deceive, we'll find later on, it's his natural instinct, when the pressure comes, he just tells lies, he tells lies, he says, oh no, she's this beautiful wife of mine, she must have been incredibly beautiful, because she was getting on by that time, she's 75, and Pharaoh fancies her, and another king fancies her, he said, oh, it's just my sister, and in fact, he wasn't lying, it's a half lie, but, but he's good at lying, he's good at deceiving, he's steeped in the sin of self-sufficient, self-made, arrogant Mesopotamia. Now, you know how it works in these stories, don't you? We're like that, aren't we? We're Cheltenham. Sophisticated and urban, self-sufficient and self-made, arrogant, worshipping other gods. We don't worship the moon, but we worship TV. TV. Okay, I didn't have that on my list, but yeah, any others? We worship money money and success and health and education. Success, and we're sexually liberated. You know, the, the collateral damage of messed up families like Abraham is all around. Not pointing the finger, it's just a fact. So we're very much like that, but yet God's plan for salvation begins here. It doesn't begin with a monk in a monastery who's never done anything wrong. It begins with a guy in a messed up family, in a messed up city, in a messed up culture, worshipping false gods. And the thing is, God says, I'm going to start there. And actually, he doesn't really start with anybody who's even got anything going for him. Because obviously one of the key things you would expect if you're going to form a nation, you're going to have a patriarch who's going to be the founding father of a nation and his wife, Sarah. Uh, The ability to have kids was going to be really at the top of your list, wasn't it? If you're going to form a nation, the ability to have kids was going to be at the top of your list. But we've got a guy here who's messed up family, an idolater, he's got nothing going for him, and actually him and his wife can't have kids. And it's God saying to him, actually, we're going we're to do something through your kids. We're going to bless the whole world. It, it, it's almost as if God doesn't really need anything from you. And that is the gospel, thankfully. If you think, man, I'm not very good. Uh, you know, my family's a bit messed up. You don't know what my life is. Or you think, I'm incredibly self-made and arrogant. God doesn't require anything from you. He comes into the situation and says, I am going to put my grace on you. In spite of your brokenness. In spite of your total inability to add something to God's purposes. So one thing that's interesting, when you plant a church, you think, well, we've got five people, we haven't really got much chance to do anything, because there's only five of us, and when you get to 90, you think, well, we're doing better. But the fact is, we have nothing to add to God's purposes. Five or 90 isn't really the issue, the issue is who's God. talking to my father-in-law about this, and he says, how would you get your eyes off the people, get your eyes on God? He's an older guy than me, and I said, yes, (laughs) father-in-law. That's very helpful, because I can look and say, well, we're filling the seats, we're filling the offering buckets, we're doing well, that means we've got more to believe on, but actually, no, I'm looking in the wrong place, eyes on God. We don't have anything to bring him. God, in his grace, chooses people to be his beloved people because he delights to do so. He doesn't say, Andy Allen, I saw some real potential in you. I could embarrass you at this point, but I won't. He says, I, but I see, he just says, no, Andy, this, you've got nothing to bring to the party, but I'm choosing you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same for all of you. He doesn't bring, he doesn't choose you because you've got some qualifications or because you're clever or you're nice. He loves you because he delights to love you. He loves you not because of your lovableness, but because his love compels him. Say amen. Okay, God in his glorious grace appears to Abraham, it says in Acts 7 um, in the speech that Stephen's doing before he martyred and he said he appeared to him in Ur of the Chaldeans and he takes him from empty idolatry and meaningless self-sufficiency and calls him to participate in God's global story. That is our story, people. God is taking us from meaningless idolatry and empty self-sufficiency to participate in his global story. That is what we were signing up for. In fact, you didn't even sign up. God grabbed hold of you, Tom, and said, I am choosing you for that story. God it said, uh, it, it says to him this, Leave your country, your people, your father's household, everything that you find your identity in, and go to a land that I'm going to show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing, and all nation, nations and peoples on earth will be blessed through you. One man... Good as dead, Paul says in Romans, his body's good as dead, cut of kids, one man to become a great nation, one land to fill the whole earth. Paul puts it like this in Galatians 3.8, God announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. all nations will be blessed through you. Paul declares that God showed through Abraham that one of his seed, one of his offspring, one of his descendants, it doesn't matter what translation you got, but it does, it, Paul says it doesn't mean the bunch, who's it talking about, one seed, who is that? Jesus, Sunday school answer, well done. Okay, so Jesus, the one seed, the one descendant, was going to be God's son who was going to save and bless the whole world. And actually, Jesus says about Abraham, it says, Abraham, in John 8, Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. Actually, more than that, he says, he saw it, Jesus says, and was glad. Abraham, somehow, before Jesus is born, is caught up with this story. You can't have kids, but one of your kids is going to come, who's going to be the son of God. I don't know how much detail he got, but he got the gospel, going to be the son of God who's going to die for the world, to bless the world. His, his indestructible life was going to bring bliss, blessing to the whole earth. It was going to fill and bless the whole earth. What was originally said to Adam, that you go bless the, fill the whole earth, that they couldn't do, God now starts with this unlikely second Adam, as it were. Not the ultimate second Adam, but the one who says, "Let's, from you, we're going to bless the whole earth. Abram didn't move out of his sophisticated, self-sufficient urban world to become a tent dweller because God promised him, Howard, I'm going to give you a small, white, semi-detached house and a comfortable life with three nice kids and your aim in life is to play golf with Rayfield and to lower your handicap, which is not happening. <laughs> that is your ultimate aim in life. no. You know, it, it's too small a thing to do that. It's too small a thing to say, you people have been born in Cheltenham to have a nice degree, to get a nice house, to get nice kids, to play happy families, to go to festivals and eat nice food. That's not what we're called to do. It's too small. God hasn't called us out of idolatry and sinfulness and messed up life to just do that. Thank you, I heard an amen. They're visitors. They learn. You need to learn from these people. <laughs> he... Put, The writer to the Hebrews puts it like this in a brilliant passage. Bang. By faith. Say by faith. By faith. faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he later received his inheritance, obeyed and went. Say obeyed and went. Even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were co-heirs with the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. Abraham moved out of his comfy world, his pagan world. He moved out because Jesus, says the glory of God, appeared to him. Who would that be? It's got to be Jesus, hasn't it? Jesus appeared to him. He's captivated by this vision of Jesus. He moved out of the safety of his life he knew into risky uncertainty because he knew God's promise was more certain than his life. He staggeringly understood that he couldn't have kids, but one of his kids would be the heir of the whole world and he would be there with him. Abram moved quite literally by the great gospel story to bring the goodness of heaven to every people, family, tribe and nation on the earth. Abram moved because he was looking forward to the city of God, which is the church. Birth from heaven, says in Revelation, coming down from heaven, whose architect and builder is Howard Kelly. Oh no, we've got no chance. Architect and builder is God. God first, we have been called from sophisticated, self-sufficient, self-made, arrogant, money-success-worshipping people to have Abraham-like faith. God hasn't poured out his grace on us, forgiven our sins and called us from idolatry to play happy families. No, God would have us captivated by Jesus. Caught up by his great, God, great world-renewing story, story. Imaging the goodness of God. Living lives of bold, reckless faith. Because we stand on the certainty that God's promised. It is not about just plain church. I mean, there's some good churches in Cheltenham. And it'd be a lot easier. I mean, I know I'd be out of a job, but I was quite a good teacher. We could just go there. We wouldn't need to set it up. We wouldn't need to serve. We wouldn't need to do anything. We could just kick back and chill. We'd have loads more free time to watch box sets on TV. Obviously, that's the thing that you mentioned, Andy. Obviously, Obviously. although his TV is now dying. It's quite pink. (laughs) So anyway, yeah, but but I felt stirred this week, and this is what's supposed to happen. Thank you those that came on the Coach to Advance conference. I spent a week with these men and women from around the nations, and I just thought, Howard, your vision is far too small. You know, when you start off, you think, oh, it, wouldn't it be nice to have 90 people? It'd be great when you've got two of you, five of you. You think, that'd be really great. Wouldn't that be ace? And, then, you know, but actually, now you get to 80, 90 people, 100 people, whatever, with kids, I don't know. You, you, you think, is that it? Have we arrived? And then you hear these people talking about planting churches in, 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 in Tanzania. So I met this guy called Sheshi, who is from. Uh, Zimbabwe, he moved to be involved in a church plant in South Africa and now he's moved to Tanzania. He's an economist, bright guy, a lovely guy moved to Tanzania to to plant a church. Doctor, really again from Zimbabwe, caught up, went to be involved in a church plant in Bulawayo in, in Zimbabwe and now planting in Nairobi. These guys are just like on their own you see a picture of their church planting team, it's him and his wife and three other people, four other people, you think, wow, they're caught up in something big. It, we, we are caught up in that same thing. I feel that God's first needs, we need a bigger vision. That's why I'm shouting this morning. So I'm trying to get through to you. We need a bigger vision, people. This isn't a nice pastoral word. Aren't we doing well? Isn't it lovely? We need a bigger vision, Howard. It's pathetic. God hasn't called us simply to rent this nice theatre, to sing a few songs, to pay me to preach Sunday sermons. You don't know what else to do. So, I'm assuming that you pay me for that. Uh, drop a 25 quid in the bucket to cover the costs and be a cozy church if it fits around our diaries. That's not what we're called to do, is it? But that's where we are. The church that hosted the conference on Saturday is located in a village called Hedge End. Who's heard of Hedge End? Or well, a few of you. I, I hadn't heard of it. Hedge End, it's on the edge of Southampton. It's a village of about 20,000 people, it's like Bishop's Cleeve. Okay, and there's, that, that, I said that as if that has been rude about Bishop's Cleve, I was looking at Paul for a kind of, yeah, come on. But it's about the size of Bishop's Cleve. Now, this church started of about 10 people, 15 people, and they, what happened is this guy gets involved with it, a guy called Martin Dunsford. Now, the story isn't that they got big, there's loads of stories of churches that got big. We've got one in this town. That's not about the aim. The aim isn't to get big. What struck me about this church was what they said about this. They had this small uh, small kind of, I think it was a, a, probably a Baptist church started, and then what happened is they, they built another building that's seated about 300. And they're growing and growing, and they felt they needed a bigger facility. So that God said to them, build this five million pound facility. So far, not a big story. But you can read behind me, what is the shocking story is, they said, how can we justify building a five million pound building if we don't give the same amount to the nations and the poor? I thought, that is staggering. It's not just 10%. We'll build a five million pound building we'll give 10% of that to the poor. That'd still be a decent whack, wouldn't it? But no, every penny we're going to spend on ourselves, we're going to give to the nations. Now, guess what? They're involved in 50 nations. 50 nations they've got so many projects you can't even list them on the website they're involved in amazing amazing stuff and that is a local church in a town smaller than us but what they've got is a big vision when God spoke to me about coming to Cheltenham people say have you had any words from God about coming to Cheltenham the only word I had was this This is the one with the girl so this is what you've joined even though I maybe not have told you sorry God promised me that if we planted a church in Cheltenham, it would give us the resources of the town to bless the nations. That's what we're in. This is a rich town. You might say, hey, I'm not rich. You always look up and say, yeah, there's more richer people in Cheltenham. You know, there always is. But actually, economically and globally, we're all rich. But this town is wealthy. It's wealthy in leadership. It's how many, like, really nice, clever people are there. But just great people... But actually, there's resources here. There's resources of leadership and people and money, not just to fill this building and build our own little world. You know, but actually to bless the nations. Our aim is not to grow a big enough church with a great enough worship band that we can do our own album. Wouldn't that be cool? Or we can run our own conferences. Won't that be cool? No, our aim is to build a church so that it's like this big pumping engine room of resources that say go 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 people go and plant money go let's go to the poor let's go to the nations let's go let's send let's send let's send let's pour let's be reckless you're all shocked now because you think oh my word it might be me and my money it is you and your money (laughs) i met this guy sheshi the church planter in tanzania he's having to downscale where he meets in his building because he's got no money he said to me, Howard, what can you pray for? I said, we're in a bit of a money squeeze at the moment. He said, I'll pray for you for our money. And then when he's praying for me, I said, and we'll give it to you. We'll give it to you. So we, we put £2,000, it's not a lot, but we put £2,000 in the offering, even though we haven't got the money. Because I thought, God, we're going to give our way out of this. We're going to vision ourselves out of this. We're going to believe ourselves out of this. And this is not just about money, it's about who we are. But there's a scary little wake-up passage Scary little wake-up in this passage, which um, I felt God speak to me in the prayer meeting. The only five of us at the prayer meeting. I think, whoa, that isn't very good, is it? But my father-in-law said, stop counting the five people at the prayer meeting and focus on him. And that was ringing in my ears, so we had an amazing time. We had an amazing time. So thank you for not coming, because we had a great time without you. <laughs> we had a great time without you. But as I'm praying... I'd had this passage in my head because obviously I do think about it a little bit beforehand, not that much, but a little bit beforehand. And this struck me: uh, Genesis 11, 31. Terah is that how you pronounce it? Terah, Terah, yeah, got it. Terah took Abraham, his Abraham, Abraham, whatever. You can see I'm as good as dead and whatever uh, unlikely candidate. His grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, and the wife of his son Abraham. Abram, And uh, together they set out for Ur Ur of Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Halfway. Halfway. Now we don't know why they settled there. So I'm going to speculate. And those people that know their Bible better than me, and there's a few of you in this room, you're going to say, you can't do that, but but just bear with me. (laughs) Just bear with me. The first thing I noticed was, why is his his lad that died is called Haran? Yeah? With one R. And the place they settle in, I think they probably started it. Maybe they started it, the place they started it, it's farmland or whatever. The place they started is called Haran. Now, I couldn't find anything that said that's a coincidence, but for me that looks more than a coincidence. Yeah? And so what I thought is, maybe the guy, Terra, is the father, he's stuck with nostalgia. Maybe his problem is nostalgia. Maybe he's really, he's been told, I think Tara was probably told, the father, Terah, was told, the father said, go from Ur and go to this place. And his kind of son, Abraham's just tagging along with him. But what happens is the father, what's in the father, kind of is critical, what's in the family, but he he settles it, maybe he gets so far and thinks, "I, I just feel I miss that place. I miss my son that died there, I miss that. Maybe he gets nostalgic. And calls the place after his son, I don't know. But, but the thing is, that, that, that the whole f- thrust of this is, uh, if we're going to do something, it's not about looking back. It's about looking forward. That's what it says in, um, in Hebrews, it says, he was looking forward. He wasn't looking back. I know some churches that never get going because they're stuck in tradition. Because they think, well, we've always done that, that that way. It's always like they're always looking back. We're looking back to when John Wesley brought revival, Or we're looking back to the, you know, the Anglican church that was formed. I don't know. Or we're looking back to this. Or we're looking back to the Baptists. Or we're looking back. We're looking back. We sing songs from then. You know, so you, and we can do that. We sing songs from the 1980s because that's when New Frontiers got going. or oh, whatever. I don't know. And it's like we're looking back. But no, no, we're not looking back. We're not saying, well, we've always done it that way. That's how we do it in this church. That's, cause that's the kind of church we are. No, we're not looking back. We're looking, say it with me, we're looking forward. We're looking forward. We're looking forward to what God's going to do. So if you join this church, or you're all part of this church, we're not trying to do a better version of the church you left. Well, I didn't like that church. It we wasn't very friendly. God first is very friendly. Oh, uh, you know, but their worship was better than our worship. They're the, the, no! We're looking forward to something else. We're going somewhere else. We, we're starting somewhere else. We'll never get there if we always think, oh, you know, we, what about the past? What about the way we've always done things? Maybe there's a better reason that's maybe a bit clearer, because it says in Genesis 12:5 it says about Abram, when Abram finally gets up and go, he leaves his father's house, gets up and goes, uh, it says they'd accumulated possessions and acquired people. If your hands are holding too tightly onto your possessions, you cannot, I'm doing it this way right? if your hands are holding too tightly onto your possessions, you cannot hold onto God's call for your life you can't, you can't love two masters, you can't love this money, possessions, comfortable life and Jesus and his cause, Jesus says that, it's not me, you can't do the same, if you're holding on to, well actually we've done quite well, we've got our ver. we've done quite well, look at us now, we're, I've got some people, we've gathered a little money, we're paying our bills, we've got about 90 people, we're, we're settling down, we've acquired some money and some people, hey let's stop here, it's all fine. That's not what we're here to. We're to say no, no. We're going forward. In fact, terror doesn't make it. He never goes forward. He settles there. But we're to go forward. We're to say no. We're we're going forward. Uh, This is. I I was praying about this, and this is in your face as it gets. If you want to settle, if you are happy to settle, don't pray. Don't serve. Don't give. Don't reach out to your neighbors with the gospel. Don't give time to God's cause. Don't be open to input and be a disciple. Don't believe God. If you're happy with where we are, we don't need any of those things, do we? We just turn up and smile and pay our money. Don't pray. Don't serve. Don't give. Don't reach out. Don't have time for it. Don't be open. Don't believe. But actually, if we want to be caught up in God's plan, then we need to pray. We need to serve. We need to give. We need to reach out. We need to have time. We need to be open and we need to believe God. What do we want to do? We want to believe God. This is how I reworked the passage in Genesis. By faith, let's read this. I think I'd like this to read this together. The bits in red are from the Bible. The bits in black are me, so you can dismiss them as error if you wish. But let's read this together. By faith, God first. When called to go to every tribe, neighborhood, and nation, we obeyed and went even though we did not know where we were going. By faith, God first lived with an eternal perspective, with their time and talents and treasure, for they were looking forward to a glorious global church whose architect and builder is God. Don't we want to do that? Yeah, we want to do that. We want to do that. I believe that this church can be a church that blesses the nations and we can have great fun doing it. That we can plant other churches and have great fun doing it. We can love the poor and have great fun doing it. I thought the word, if you, came, if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, the word that Greg Tate brought, should have had a big rope, he talked about eternity as this long rope that stretched out of the door. And he said, this little bit here at the start of the rope is your life now. And he says, you can live all... You should really listen to it. It's fantastic. You can live all your life worrying about this little bit now and forget to live all about that. It really challenged me. Because I'm being discipled by this town all the time. It really challenged me. I want to live for that, not for this. Okay, let's fit, land this down. We've got to break bread. So you think, how's he going to get to bread breaking here? But hey, I read it you know where I'm going. Abram never settled. He remained a tent dweller. So although I get frustrated when Parable Art Centre is not available, it keeps us tent dwelling. You understand what I mean? It doesn't say, well this is where we are, this is where we're settled, we're building our building in Haran. No, we're tent dwelling, we're moving, we may not be here. If they say, we don't like you, you drop too much litter, you drink your drinks in the auditorium, something else, they want to do drama every week, we're gone from here. If this is what we're hoping in, we're really in a big trouble. We've got to be tent dwellers. We've got to live outside our comfort zone. What happens is, you read on from Genesis 12, God gives him this amazing promise, and then the next thing, what happens is, he's a man man of multiple nations, and Jesus has come, and glory has happened, and the end of the world has happened, and it's all glory. No, what happens is, after he gets the promise, there's war, there's famine, there's deceit, there's disappointment, there's delay, there's, there, it's all bad stuff God you promised all this why is all this bad stuff happening and it's actually that, that, that actually in the middle of that he's surrounded by this pagan culture but the Canaanites are very similar from where he's come from he could have just thought oh sack it there's too much trouble I'm just going to blend in just you know lose my identity as a pioneer as, a, as a, somebody loving radically I'll just blend in but actually, in, in spite of all the setbacks and challenges, we have to believe God. God first, actually the more we say we're going to go for a big vision, the more we're going to have setbacks. If we, if we risk nothing, then we're nobody's target. In fact, we're really good because we can just, you can just so, soporific kind of church, we can just put you all to sleep, you know, slowly, 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 yes, you're Christians, you're living the Christian life. Hallelujah. No, if you decide you're going to live for Jesus, you're going to take some hits, you're going to take some blows, you're going to, stuff might happen. People might get sick. You might lose your job. People might fall out with you. People might dis- disappoint you. People, God might not come through for you. You might think, oh, sack it, I'm going to go back and blend in with the pagan Cheltenhamites. No, no, but you've got to hold on. But the thing about this is, actually, you can think, well, Abraham held on because he was a special type of person. He's a te- special type of person, but I don't believe he was. Because actually, if you read the story, and we'll find as we do this story, he's not a special type of person. He's just like you and me. It's not like he had this super faith compared to you. Now, what he had is was a God that wouldn't let him go. God keeps coming to him. Abraham keeps sacking it off, and God keeps coming, and waking him up and shaking him up. We will find that next time when I'm preaching next week. God comes and shakes him up. He's thinking, oh, it's a, dis- it's a mess. It's not going to happen. You can't deliver. God comes and shakes him up. And we find that, it says in uh, verse 6 of 12, we read, it said, At that time the Canaanites were in the land. And it says, The Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him again, To your seed I give this land. He's only just promised to him. Abraham's just decided where he's going to pitch his tent. And and he's like, so God doesn't let him settle. He comes again and says, Come on, I'm going to give you this land. So Abraham built an altar to the Lord who'd appear to him. And he worships. Guys, when we come and worship, it's about saying we come out of all that crazy, crazy stuff and we come to the God who's appeared to us. We just drink in his great promises, his faithfulness, his certainty, and we drink it in. That's what worship's for. It's funny, I found myself at Coldplay uh, last night, and, you, and you, you're singing, Look at the stars, look how they shine for," And you think, it feels quite worshipy, doesn't it? i don't know, I? Can I? <laughs> Can I, can I? Who am I worshipping? <laughs> worship can just look like a, a concert, can it? Yeah. If you're not actually saying no, I mean, holding on to you because I've got no... I can't believe myself, but I need you. I, I, we can't do this. It's impossible. We need you. God, you've promised and you're faithful. We need you. That's what worship does. But also, I think there's something more robust. And here we go. This is this great transition here. Genesis 14, uh, 17. We're landing here. It says... Abraham returned from defeating the kings. There's a story there, but we haven't time for it. And he says, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out... Here we go. Brought out bread and wine. Who is this guy? Who's this Melchizedek person who brings out bread and wine? Who is it? Well, the writer of Hebrews kind of gives us a clue. He doesn't nail it right on the head. He says this, Melchizedek means king of righteousness, chapter 7 of Hebrews. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. It says this, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling who? Jesus, the Son of God. I think it was him. I think it was him. How did Abraham rejoice in Jesus' day? He says, he saw my day and rejoiced because he broke bread with him. He he said, look, this is my body, broken for you. Out of my broken body and out of my shed blood, our forgiveness of sins, the world's going to be made new. We're going to bless every nation through this message. It says, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. Yes, I'm caught up in this. I'm caught up in this. God announced the gospel in advance. We've had this slide already to Abram. All nations will be blessed through you. Abram rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and rejoiced. So we're going to break bread. Band, why don't you come back? As we break bread, let's come like Abram as those people have been called out of nice comfortable, self-sufficient idolatry and called into something fresh that we're called out of sophisticated self-sufficient living but to called to believe him and it's almost as if God's going to come, Melchizedek, Jesus the son of, the king of righteousness the king of peace is going to come and and bless us he's going to put his hand on our heads as it were and say the bit that I read wrong, (laughs) and I had to read it again, he's going to bless us and say, God first. Be blessed by God most high. That's how we're going to do it. That's how we're going to change. Our streets, our neighbourhoods, our friends. God is going to bless us. We're not going to drift back into the old way, blending in with a crowd, going back to Ur of the Chaldeans. No. We're not going to settle halfway. No. We're going to go. We're going to believe God. And it says in Hebrews, just to make you feel upset, it says some of those didn't receive what they believed for. We may never become like Hedge Church. That's not the goal. The goal is to say we're caught up in God's great purposes. Live our lives for something bigger, something better. And as you're nodding, I know that's what we want to do. So as we count the people and fill the seats, and go to a second meeting... Buy a building, plant churches, send money to the nations. The ultimate aim is not that God first name gets great, but that God's mission to bless the whole earth, that we're caught up in that. And that's what we break bread to do. By faith, God first, when called to go to every tribe and neighborhood and nation, we obeyed and went, even though we didn't know where we're going. By faith, God first lived with an eternal perspective, with our time and talents and treasure, for we were looking forward. We are looking forward to a glorious global church whose architect and builder is God. Amen. Let's break bread together. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.